Good morning, Calvary. Happy Sunday. Before I get started, um, in case anyone ever doubted my deep love for you, I need to share a funny story. And Pastor Bill, our interim pastor, I think it was last week or the week before, you said that we have to laugh at ourselves, correct? Well, I'm laughing now, but it wasn't super funny at the time. So last night, I came in here like I do before I preach, and I wanted to run through my sermon so that it wasn't rubbish for you all. And I got a little ahead of myself, and it was before I even got the chance to run through it, and I came over here, sorry sound people, I'm wondering, and see these beautiful stairs? Well, I think you're supposed to walk down them like this. Not like hop, you know how sometimes when I host, I like kind of hop up the stairs? That's because usually I've missed the first two clues that Bobby gave me to come up. Um, But I kind of hop, skipped my way down, and my first step here, my ankle rolled, and I went full, like it was, it was humbling. I went, and no one was in here because it was late at night and I was by myself, which was part of the problem. I was alone. I took our only vehicle. I thought I broke my foot, genuinely. I called Bobby because I had, miraculously, although it didn't do anything, I had my phone with me, and I called him, and I was laughing and kind of crying and kind of muttering all at the same time. I'm like, I I think I broke my foot. And he's like, where are you? And I'm like, I'm at the church. I'm on the ground. And he's like, well, just like, I mean, he wasn't super loving about it, but... (laughs) He's like, because he's like, I, I'm not sure what you want me to do. Maybe just give it a bit. I'm like, okay. So I hung up, and then I, on my knees, kind of crawled back over, and then I tried to put some weight on. I'm like, okay. I was being a little dramatic. It felt like I broke it, but as you can tell, I didn't, and I'm ish okay. But I love you this much. Did I pack it in and crawl my way home? No. I practiced the sermon. I hobbled, literally hobbled my way through every single row of these chairs to pray for you that you would hear from Jesus this morning. So I will be a little angry at you if you walk out of here and you hear nothing, okay? Because the enemy quite literally tried to take me down, and he did halfway. The victory in Jesus, I'm here. I am a little enthusiastic, aren't I, Glenda? Okay, so this morning I'm continuing our series, Listen, Learn, Live for the Father. And each week we tackle something new that just robs us of the best from God. And Pastor Bill, he shared when he launched this series a really important truth that once we've been reconciled back into the family of God, when we accept what Jesus did on the cross, sin no longer separates us from God. But what it does do is it robs us of the best from God. And God is always offering us his best because he's always offering us himself. And I thought it was important to kind of draw this additional um, truth for you today is that there is no best and worst of God, right? It's not like me. It's not like what my husband and my kids get, the version of me when I'm really hungry which I enjoy eating food, and when I'm hungry, Bobby knows that what he typically, that's my husband who was singing here, what he needs to do is he just needs to feed me, and that resolves most of the problem, and then some other things need to happen to resolve the rest, but it's not like that with God. He doesn't have like a worse version of himself and a best version of himself. He is at his best 
all of the time. And so it isn't, matter that of, it isn't a matter of sometimes God giving us his leftovers or giving us like a little bit of good when we're good and, and better when we're better. He always offers us the best in himself because it's all that he can give is his best. But it's a matter of us choosing him or not choosing him, of choosing to experience the best that is found in God or not. And when we don't access the best that comes from him, when we don't choose him, then we're never at our best. We are never the best version of ourselves. We aren't the best at our best as humanity. And we are not our best as the church. Adam and Eve, they had the best from God at the very beginning, didn't they? He was with them like, so this is mind-blowing when I really think about that. God was with them. They had him. They had the best. And yet, what did the serpent do? The serpent planted this doubt that they chose to listen to, that maybe God's plan wasn't the best. Maybe he was withholding it from them. You won't surely die, he says. Go and eat from the tree he told you not to. He just doesn't want you to be like him. They believed this, and we know how that worked out for them. We know how that worked out then through to us. And the enemy has been speaking this lie over humanity since the very beginning of time because he knows this. He knows that if he can convince you to follow him or to follow yourself or to follow anybody other than God, then he will have succeeded at robbing you of the best from God. He will have succeeded at getting you to live out a lesser vision for your life than what God has always intended for you. And this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about allegiance. Because I think that this is where it went wrong in the garden in the very beginning. I think it's where it went wrong with Israel as we read the scripture over and over and over again. And you're like, how could you guys not get it by now? And I find myself pretty judgmental of Israel as a nation. Like, come on. But this is because we can see the whole story unfold, right? And it's like, oh, here we go again. And I don't think that we can be too hard on them because I think that this is where we often go wrong too. I think it's an allegiance issue. I know that we don't follow like golden statues, at least I hope we don't, everybody, okay? I know that we don't do that, but we do place too high a value on all sorts of things, right? And we follow pursuits all of the time that are not pursuits that are found along the Jesus way. And so my question for today, and I'm going to ask it at the end, is this. Who has your allegiance today? Who has your true allegiance? What is allegiance and what does it look like? So, humor me. I had this video clip come to mind immediately, and I scoured and scoured to find it. And Bobby worked his magic. And it might be illegal to show it, but we're going to do it anyways. But anyway, shh, don't tell. Oh, it's on a podcast. Don't tell. Okay, anyways, I had to show it. I was going to, Church Online only got me explaining it to them, and it's just not as funny. So who watches, maybe some of you don't want to admit this, the sitcom The Office? I know there are those of you who love it. If you watch it, you love it. Yes. Okay, so it's from The Office. Those of you who haven't watched it, don't go watch it. I'm not endorsing anything here. I'm just wanting to show one clip, and I think it's going to give this picture of allegiance. So just to set it up, um, Michael Scott, who is the manager of a paper company, Dunder Mifflin, he doesn't like his new overseer that he gets, 
and he quits. And in his last two weeks, he tries to poach all of the office staff to come and follow him and to come with him because he's going to start his own paper company that's in direct competition to Dunder Mifflin. And he wants them to come with him. And so this is a scene of that happening. see me. Not all the way up. Keep him at a normal height, okay? This is not Michael Scott talking right now. This is your future. Hello. I am your future. You are older and you are very happy now because you went with Michael Scott, right? So everybody, come on down. Now let's just crawl out of here together, all right? Come on. Are you, are you doing your best here? Are you being the best that you can be? Everybody who's going to go with me, I want you to stomp your foot. Okay. All right. Come on. Come on. You're coming with me. Come on, Mills. Here we go. Here we go. Michael, get up. Oh, God. Okay. All right. All right. Time to go. Time to go. Jim, let's go. Come on. Michael. <laughs> now, Jesus doesn't ever drag us. This is an important point to make. He invites us. And in that, in that scene, following it through a bit, nobody goes with him except for Pam, the receptionist. And Pam shows her true allegiance to Michael by going with him. It, allegiance is this question of, who's coming? Guys, are you in? Let's go. I'm headed this way. And allegiance is putting actual action to that response of, yes, wherever you're going, I trust you. Now, I'm not saying to trust Michael Scott, but I am saying to trust Jesus. It's, I'm going to go with you. You see, here's the tragic reality is I think that many Christians really like Jesus. They really like who he is. He's awesome. Like, honestly, I think even someone who's not a Christian, if they read Jesus' words, if they look at the person of Jesus, they'd say, yeah, he was a pretty good guy. I think they really like what he does. And I think even today, we can believe in Jesus, we can like him, we can like the things that he does, and we can even celebrate and cheer, and we can put our hands up as we were singing earlier, and we, and we can say, Jesus, I exalt you. You are my king. And it sounds so nice to say, doesn't it? It's powerful. There's power in those words. But I think the tragic reality is that we can spend, and I think a lot of Christians do, spend an entire lifetime of serving Jesus, watching what he's doing with their eyes, even celebrating what he does, waiting in anticipation for what he's going to do, and we don't actually have true allegiance. We don't follow him with our feet. And here's the thing, you can't stay and go at the same time. Those people who didn't go when he said, stomp your feet, they're not allegiant. They're not. You can't stay and you can't go at the same time. And there is an allegiance piece to our faith, to the living out of our faith in Jesus. And that's not meant to sound daunting. I think there were times in my life, especially as a teenager, where I thought that that sounded kind of daunting. But it's not. Not if you really know Jesus. Not if you really know his way. Jesus isn't an oppressive king. His rule is not an oppressive rule. It's liberation from the oppression of all lesser kings who overpromise and underdeliver. Jesus shows us 
all through his life what kind of king he is and what his kingdom looks like. And he teaches us about it in parables, and he teaches us about it directly through his word. He tells us how to participate in it, and he tells us what our lives will look like when we're really doing it. And he asks all of us, are you in? Are you in? And I think he asks us more often than we think he does. It's not a one-and-done kind of thing. I think he asks us all the time, hey, I know you said you were in. Are you, are you still in 20 years later? Are you still in? Are you still with me? Because it looks like you've kind of over time just started following a different way, a pursuit that wasn't on the way of Jesus. Are you in? Jesus asks us to follow him. Why? Because I am the light of the world, he says. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Allegiance to Jesus is not daunting. Allegiance to Jesus always, every time, no matter what it looks like in the here and now, it always leads and is leading to life. Joshua's end-of-life plea in his old age, his farewell address to the Israelites, he says, guys, don't serve the ancestors don't serve the answer. Don't serve the gods that your ancestors served. It never worked out for them. I was there. I saw it. It didn't work out. Choose this day whom you will serve. Why did he probably have to ask that? Well, probably because there was competing kingdoms at play, and it wasn't really looking like true allegiance. And he's saying, don't do it. Don't fall for the lie. This is not the better way over here is. And as for me and my house, is the famous saying, we will serve the Lord. That wasn't an empty statement of I will exalt you, but I actually won't. It was I'm with him all the way. His way is the better way. I've seen it. I'm in it. And I'm following him right to the end. Every single day and in every single decision that you make, you are given a choice of whose way you are going to walk in. Who are you going to follow? Who will hold your allegiance, your trust, your loyalty? Because here's the thing we are told. We are told that there are kingdoms at war for your allegiance all of the time. And it's really important that we don't just assume, but that we actually stop and that we're reflective in our days and we're reflective in our decisions and our goal setting of whose vision those goals actually even reflect. How often do we start a new year and we set these goals for our lives? Well, do we ask, is this the Jesus way? Because the answer should be yes. For those who say, I will exalt you, Jesus, you are king. Dual allegiance is incompatible. It can't be, yes, I'm allegiant to God and over here. It can't be God and. It can't be God too, as Pastor Bill talked about last Sunday. It can't be God and money. It can't be God and wealth. It can't be God and power. It can't be God and lust. It can't be God and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It can't be God and I want everybody to like me. I do want everyone to like me, but it doesn't always work. Dual allegiance is incompatible. And you know who else knew this? The Romans did. The Romans knew that dual allegiance is incompatible. It's what put Jesus on the cross. The Pharisees knew it. It's why Jesus was crucified. What was, abed, what was above Jesus' head on the cross? It was his crime. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. If Jesus is king, then Caesar is not. And that is a very big problem. Take a look with me at how the Gospel of Mark starts. 
Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, gospel and good news were not new terms to the Romans. They knew these terms. But it wasn't typically used to refer to Jesus, the Messiah. The Romans constructed these huge structures and they put these inscriptions on them. And they put them in public places. It was like their news outlet. And one of them was built in 9 BC and it was called the Prean Calendar Inscription, which commemorated the birth of Caesar and was used to, I quote, herald the good news of the arrival of a kingdom. Sound familiar? In that inscription, you would read the beginning of the gospel of Caesar, of Caesar Augustus, the son of God. By coming into the world, this is a huge deal. Jesus redefined this Roman imperial gospel. When Mark announces the beginning of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God, and when Paul speaks of the true message of the gospel in Colossians 1.5, these are revolutionary statements. This is why Jesus was put on a cross. Only one can be true. Who is the Son of God? Who does allegiance belong to? Should they follow the way of Caesar or should they follow the way of Jesus? The Pharisees, who were loyal to Herod, ergo they were loyal to Caesar, they wanted to trip up Jesus by making him answer, where does his true loyalty lie? Are you loyal to Caesar or are you not? I'm going to read the story for you. It's found in Matthew 22. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and they laid plans to trap him, to trap Jesus. In his words, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, and this is so passive aggressive, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? And this is important. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, which is essentially a day's wage, and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, and this is pretty important, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God, what is God's? And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. And I think they missed what Jesus was actually saying because it was a pretty revolutionary statement. The response of Jesus to this trap revolves around the concepts of image and ownership. He looks at the denarius coin and he asks, whose image is on this coin? By asking this, Jesus is making a pretty intense point. It alludes deliberately and obviously, and everyone would have known it, except I guess them, to Genesis 1, 26 to 27, which all of Israel would have had memorized. God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Coins bear the image of the emperor, but human beings bear the image of God. Imagine. So Jesus says, go ahead. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give the image of Caesar back to Caesar. Give him the money. Wear the clothes. Who cares? Let him have it. Let him have his power and his wealth. But give to God what belongs to God. What was made in his image? You were. I was. We were. Give him and him alone your allegiance and your loyalty, and your trust, and he will give you the very best that is only his to give, which is himself. There's a quote 
by uh, yours truly, Ryan Morgan, who's sitting here right now, and he's a professor at our Bible college, a program director, and he was helping me craft this message. By the way, only the good parts, Ryan. Not, any, not anything that anyone doesn't like. I'll take full ownership for that. Um, but he said this, and I told him I was going to quote him. He says, there is not a single square inch of dirt on this planet that is not rightfully his, and there is not a single human being past, present, or future who does not need him. We need the one whose image we were created in. Follow me, Jesus says, and what? And this is a verse of our series. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Do you know what happens when I read that? And I was telling this to Pastor Bill the other day. When I read this verse, every single time, it has this like physical, emotional response in me. And it's one of liberation, and it's one of freedom, and it's one of peace that I can't ever put properly into words. The fact that God says, I will be a father to you and you will be my daughter. Why does that get me so emotional? Because I know God to be a good father. I know Jesus' way to be a better way. And let this be a comfort maybe to some parents out there. I've tried a few other ways. One, Leanne, you know, she went to my church I grew up in. I can't, I can't lie to you. I tried a few other ways. And teenagers, if you're in the room, let this be a plea to you. Jesus' way is such a better way. Like I promise you, he delivers his prom on his promises every single time. And every other way is just an overpromise and an underdelivering of a much lesser king who does not have the capacity or the capability to give you what he promises you. But Jesus delivers on his promise every single time. I want us to look at the contrast between the way of Caesar and the way of Jesus. Because even though, we're, yeah, I know we're not serving Caesar. Um, but I think every other competing kingdom, competing, what's competing for our allegiance can kind of fall under this category. Let's look at the way of Caesar for a second. It's top-down power of empire. It's project over people every single time. It's success and wealth at all costs. It's using fear to convey status and importance. It's prosperity for the self and for the few. It's dominating and it's controlling. It's about prestige. How can I enhance my own reputation? And it's always divisive. Our nation versus everybody else. But the way of Jesus... It's bottom-up leadership. It's liberation for the very least of these. He is a humble king. He leads by serving. He loves unconditionally and equally, which unites everybody together. He is the great equalizer. He self-sacrifices. And with Jesus, it is people. People are the mission every single time. People are the mission. You are the mission every single time. The way of Caesar, the end justifies the means. I need to bring peace to the empire, so who cares if a few million people need to die to get it? These guys over here, they're going to starve, but we're going to have peace, and we're going to have a unified empire. Caesar promised a feast, but he delivered a famine. Caesar sheds the blood of others for Rome, including the blood of Jesus. But what does Jesus do? The way of Jesus the means define the end. Jesus sheds his own blood for who? For the Romans and for the entire world. Andy Stanley says this, our ultimate allegiance 
is to a king who came to reverse the order of things. The king who, rather than requiring his subjects to die for him, died for them instead. Here's a question. Why do you think Caesar cared so much that people followed him? Because if people stop following him, he's no longer king, is he? It's entirely for his own benefit. Why do you think God cares so much that we follow him? It's entirely for our own benefit. Whether we choose to follow him or not, he still remains king, doesn't he? The answer is yes, he does. <laughs> whether we choose to live by someone else's way, whether we choose to live our own way, whether we choose to build up their kingdom here on earth or our own kingdom here on earth, his is the kingdom that will remain in the end and all others will just pass away. It'll mean nothing. Don't spend your time building for the wrong kingdom that's not even going to be here in the end. Build for the one that truly matters. Revelation 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. From garden to garden is the vision of our king. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning or crying or pain, a reversal of order. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Jesus cares not because he needs. He cares because he loves he cares because he created us with the very best vision for our lives in mind. And he knows that the only way that we can truly live that out, the only way that we can ever truly find it, is to be in relationship with him. I asked Bobby, you guys can come on up. I asked Bobby and the band to play a song of response so that we can have just a little bit of time to do some thinking. The real work... The real allegiance piece doesn't really happen in here. It's part of it, but it happens what, in what you do when you go out there. I asked them to play a song called Make Room. And with great humility, trust me, falling down the stairs humility, with great humility, I ask you to do the same thing I plan to do myself. Would you answer the question? Would you just pause and ask God and give it some time for him to speak? Ask, who has your allegiance? Who are you following? Check in. Maybe it's been a long time since you've checked in. Do you know? Have you thought about it lately? Have you been spectating, waiting, and even celebrating what God is doing around you? But you're just kind of watching with your eyes, and you're not following him with your feet. Here's the thing. Nobody follows Jesus by accident. He is followed with great intention. And my big ask of you is to do an audit of your life. And this is how I suggest that you do it. Take it or leave it. <laughs> the next full day that you have, so start tomorrow, hour by hour, ask this question. Is this the Jesus way? In your decisions that you make, is this the Jesus way? When you talk to your spouse or your partner, when you're with your kids, do you throw around power or demand perfection? Because that's not the Jesus way. When you make decisions at work or in business, do you put profit over people? 
when you post something, when you have conversations, can you ask, am I trying to enhance my own reputation? Do I bring life to a space or death to a space when I show up virtually or in person? Ask God, and this one's important, this one got me, ask God to reveal to you if there is any sphere of your life where you behave as if there is no God. Because I think there's a lot of areas of our lives as Christians, we're like, yeah, of course, we're, look, we're here today. We behave as if there's a God. We're going to sing and worship and we're going to respond to him because we believe that there's a God. Sometimes I act more like there's a God than other times. I thought about it the other day. My kid got sick and I just immediately was looking up on Google, Dr. Google what I should do. There's nothing wrong with figuring out what the method of treatment should be, but I didn't once just stop and prayed for him as if there was a God, as if there was a God who could heal him. What the heck was I thinking? <laughs> That's just like a minor example, but what sphere of your life, if any? Ask God, ask God, show me God. Is there anywhere in my life I act as if you don't even exist at all? Hour by hour ask, is this the Jesus way? And one last thing I really wanted to make sure that I say, because it's super important, and if you, didn't, you don't hear this, then it's just going to sound like I was kind of harping on you about, who are you loyal to? He does not care if you do this thing perfectly. Not at all. No way. No way, or I would have just stayed in bed today. He doesn't care if you do it perfectly. When my four-year-old hands me a picture that he drew, and it circles with a bunch of sticks out of it, and he tells me that this is our family. And usually I'm bigger than everybody else in the family, and I'm not sure why that is. Um, and Rosie, our dog, looks a bit like a better circle than my circle. But I don't crumple it up and say, kid, get it right next time. What are you doing? These are circles with sticks out of them. What a jerk mom I would be, eh? No, what do I do? I put that sucker on the best spot of my fridge until the next picture comes home, and then i got to switch it out because I have three kids. It gets messy. But I put it in the best spot, and I give him the biggest hug, and I say, buddy, I love it. Is that me? Oh, I look great. Thanks for thinking of me, buddy. And in the summer, when my seven-year-old cut the lawn for the first time, a job that Bobby's pretty passionate about, does all our neighbors too, um, and he wanted to learn because he wanted to make some money, and I get he's a bit young, but it's like, let's get him independent as fast as possible. These kids got to start returning for the investment I put into them. Anyways. Um, and he doesn't angle the lines perfectly. Does Bobby go up to him and yank that lawnmower out of his hands and say, you're screwing it all up, stop it? No, what kind of jerk father would he be? He's not a jerk father, he's a great father. That's the way of Caesar who demands perfection. He went up behind him and he just helped him push. And he said, buddy, you're doing great, let me show you how to do it. And who cares, the lawn wasn't perfect. He might have cared a little bit, who cares? Who cares actually? Shouldn't care. It's not the way of Jesus. He does not care that you do it perfectly. He cares that you try. He cares that you're with him, that you're just showing up. And he will be faithful to be with you too. It's the other verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Just start over. Start today. Whoever and whatever held your allegiance before now, just stop. Just stop and try again. He will be faithful to do it with you. And so my challenge to you is this, is as we sing this song, and just give some time, give some time to ask, is this the Jesus way? 
God, give me the courage. Lead me, I pray. Help me, God, resist lesser kings and their over-promising and their under-delivering because you are the only God who I know will deliver on your promise. And so, God, lead us. Lead us, I pray. I wonder what would happen. I was thinking this driving through town the other day. We have a lot of churches in the city, and there are a lot of churches in the world. There are a lot of people who say, Jesus, you are king. What would happen? Like, what would happen if everyone who said, Jesus, you are king, actually lived the way of Jesus, God's way? If they were in the will of God, and the way they lived that out was the way of Jesus, what would happen? Some pretty cool things, I think. I want to I be on that way, and I want you to come with me. So let's spend some time thinking, and let's make room for him to answer the question of our lives, is this the Jesus way?